Welcome to Instruction Interruption, a podcast to celebrate New Mexico educators from every corner of our beautiful state. I am host Mandy Torres, the 2020 New Mexico Teacher of the Year. This podcast is sponsored by the New Mexico Oil and Gas Association and is produced in collaboration with the New Mexico Public Education Department. In this episode, we connect with Lincoln Middle School teacher Kelly Pierce over in Rio Rancho. Kelly currently is serving as a PED teacher ambassador and was recently named as a Teach Plus Policy Fellow for New Mexico. Kelly is a teacher taking charge however she can, and I'm pretty sure she will convince you to use your educator voice to create change too. Every single educator out there has a story to tell, has a story that can help make education even better. Don't be afraid because there's lots of us who will hold your hand and help you get that voice louder. Kelly also will share stories about her teaching experience abroad and even about how she became a TV star in Armenia. You'll also get advice from her on how to bring the country's top executives right into your classroom. So put your pencils down and listen up. We're ready to interrupt your day with one of New Mexico's teacher leaders. Hi, Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. I know that you are so busy with all of the work you're doing in so many different areas. So thank you for taking the time for us. I just wanted to start out by asking you to share a little bit of your story. Where did you grow up? How did you get to New Mexico? How did you get into teaching? And what motivates you about this profession? Wow, you hopefully have a lot of time for me to answer all those questions. <laughs> So my story began in, uh, I grew up in Prescott, Arizona. It's kind of central or northern Arizona and um, had, you know, your typical childhood. I was kind of an introvert, but I loved uh, writing and I was always asking questions. And so I um, joined the school newspaper, became the editor, and that was the track that the first chapter of my life took. I went to Arizona State University and got a journalism degree. And I spent about a decade as a journalist in California, Colorado, DC. Uh, during college, I had a couple of um, newspaper internships there. And then I finally kind of found my way back to Phoenix and I finished up my career at the Arizona Republic. And I was covering education at that time. And I, you know, as a journalist, as a reporter, I always felt like I was making a difference, but it wasn't quite the difference that I had envisioned for myself. So I kind of shifted and I was uh, spending uh, every month I would go visit this teacher and I was doing this ongoing series. And every time I was in his third grade classroom, I thought, oh my gosh, I want to be him. And so it just kind of built from there. But my trajectory is very strange. I actually went into the Peace Corps <laughs> So I had been volunteering and, 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 and teaching a little bit at a homeless shelter and at a hospital with cancer um, patients, kiddos. And then I just ended up in the Peace Corps where I was a teacher, just learned on the job um, in Armenia, which is a former Soviet Republic. It's the southernmost one. So I was there in over 2001 when we had 9-11. And so that was, an, you know, just... 
that's a whole other story, <laughs> a whole other <laughs> podcast. Anyway, um, so I spent two years in the Peace Corps and ended up teaching teachers the second year. They chose me as a trainer, um, this person who didn't even have any formal training. <laughs> So I just loved it. I, you know, just loved being with uh, students and as a lifelong learner myself, I just, you know, just ate that up. And so when I came, well, I didn't come back right away. I ended up wanting to be overseas longer. So I got a job with a British educational uh, company. And so I lived in Bangkok, Thailand, teaching for uh, a year. So I taught three-year-olds through high school students. <laughs> believe it or not. Wow, that's a, that's a big range. Yeah, it, it was amazing. I just, that is just a wonderful part of my life. I will never forget. And then I came back to the United States and I got a Peace Corps fellowship. So I was able to get my master's degree in teaching and I did that on the Navajo Nation. So I um, was in a little town called Tohatchi, which is about a half hour north of Gallup. And I taught second grade and then I looped and I went with them to third grade because they really needed that, you know, consistency in their lives. And, um, and I stayed in Gallup while I was getting my um, three year master's degree. And then I stayed another year beyond that and um, spent some time in another school in Gallup itself called Red Rock Elementary. And, um, but then I just kind of wanted to move to the big city, maybe, <laughs> or I just needed a change. And so we relocated to the Albuquerque area. We live on the West side and I teach, or I have taught in various schools within Rio Rancho public schools, started out at Vista Grande, taught, um, fifth grade for three years, fourth grade for another three years. And then I wanted to really get into that niche where a lot of teachers don't want to go, but I have found it to be the most, the best part. And that's middle school. So I taught um, sixth grade world history and geography for uh, three years. Um, and then I moved to where I am now, which is Lincoln Middle School. And it's, it's, it's an amazing way that the two careers of my life have intersected. So I teach something called media literacy, which is perfect as a former newspaper reporter. And then I also teach pre-AVID, and that's to our sixth graders to help them transition. And it really is a holistic approach where you're talking about growth mindset, SEL, and all of those supportive things, nurturing the whole child, but also giving them skills that will help them be successful, like organization, uh, note-taking, and those kinds of things, research skills. And so I just feel like I'm in a really wonderful position, but I'm also, as a, as a learner, I couldn't stop there. So I am also getting my administrative license. I take my last class in June, which is reflective leadership, which is I'm so excited for because I love to reflect. And we'll see where my journey leads me. I'm happy to stay where I am, or you know, I'm just keeping all those doors and windows open and pursuing opportunities, and we'll see where it all goes. So I want to go back to your teaching in Armenia. And if you could just kind of talk about your experience there and maybe you know what you brought from that experience and how that might impact your classroom today. Sure. So even before that, I've always embraced travel. I love finding out about different cultures and digging into that. And so um, I kind of be, I kind of reached a juncture in my life when I was um, kind of ending my journalism time where I just needed a huge shift. 
And so I decided to apply, got in as a teacher, even though I really didn't have limited experience, but um, they took me anyway, which is great. And it was, it truly is the toughest job you'll ever love. Um, it is hard. And there were times when I thought, oh my gosh, I can't do this. And so I think it helped me build up my own growth mindset and, and my grit, my resiliency and perseverance. And those are things I teach now. So uh, I've lived it. And um, I just had an amazing time from the moment I was with my host family and they knew no English. I knew no Armenian. And so we were really using body language to communicate even just the basic survival needs. Um, and there were two little boys and I felt like I could communicate better with them than the, the, than the parents. And it was just amazing. And so then I ended up in this town. It was about 45 minutes from the capital. And I did so many different things. So I taught in the town school, I taught English, and really helped teachers with hands-on. So the kids, they learn Russian, they learn English, but they are just about the reading and writing of it, and they don't understand how to communicate it. And so that was kind of my role, just kind of be the crazy, silly American trying to get them to be, speak, to be speaking English. And I had like an English club, but I went so much further because Peace Corps is whatever you want to make it. You can sit in your house or your whatever, your gear on the Mongolian steppe where my partner, he um, was in Mongolia. And you could read all the books in the world. You could just sit there and reflect on, on the meaning of life or you could get out there and make a difference. And so I was all about that. Even though I really struggled with the language of Armenian, I um, always said, I'm trying to get them to speak in English. So I'm, you know, that's my big goal. So I don't have to learn it. I know I wasn't a really good model in that sense. But anyway, so um, I did things like I worked in an orphanage. I fought for women's rights because that's still a huge thing there. I um, had like a sports club where we go to the field and just, you know, do different things, exercise, yoga, whatever. I am actually, this is kind of strange, but I was on television in Armenia. They had the show <laughs> and they were looking for somebody to um, be part of it. And so um, I entered that arena, which was kind of bringing into the broadcast side of journalism. And so I helped write the script. I was one of the characters. I lived on the English planet. And then they had this Armenian actor and this, and this two of them. And they lived on the Armenian planet. And we had like a subject like, a, you know, foods or greetings or whatever it might be, each episode uh, circled around that theme. And so that was exciting because I would travel around Armenia and people would say, English girl, English girl, because they saw me on this show. That That's really weird. cool. <laughs> it, it, it's amazing. And, and like, I have these VHS tapes and I really want to get them, you know, so I can share because nobody has a VHS player anymore. So so that experience ended in 2003, but I have to tell you, it was the defining moment or time period in my life that I still hearken back to all the time. You know, if I'm going through something hard now, I always think back to what it was like when I couldn't even take a shower and I had to take a bucket bath. And so it, it made me a stronger person and it made me, I believe, the teacher that I am today because I'm always bringing in that culture and that love of others culture. And so whether it's, you know, bring having it like Peace Corps week every spring, I bring in all my things and I have all this little song and dance that I do with my students. 
Um, but I just really want to value their, where they come from, because we all have our story, our journey. And I, and I love that sharing of that. And, and it's made me more tolerant, I hope. Um, and, and just made me, you know, see the world so much differently than maybe others who haven't been out of the United States, which is fine, but it also just, it, it just makes you see everything so differently. And that's a whole other podcast too, probably. Wow, that sounds really exciting. You've done some really exciting stuff. I'm so glad that you bring that to your students. I think that's important that they also, not just that they experience other things, but that they see you as a complete person and things that motivate you and that you care about. I think that's really important for creating those relationships with our students. And I love that you you mentioned that because during this now time of distance teaching and learning, oh my gosh, that's been a big thing. So kids are kind of getting reflective right now and, and even their families are emailing me and the kids are sending me private messages in Google Classroom and they're like, I'm so glad that you shared your foster dogs because we volunteer at Watermelon Mountain Ranch Animal Center here in, in the Albuquerque area. And um, we ended up fostering these three little chihuahuas. I never thought I'd be a dog person. We have cats and guinea pigs and a tarantula. But we added these three dogs to the mix two <laughs> months ago. And believe it or not, they are bonded. They have to be together all the time. They, they groom each other. They, they walk side by side down the road. Um, and so that has been really helping us during this quarantine time. And it's also, I think, helped me bond with my students because I've made videos with them. I call them my teaching assistants. And uh, like I tell little stories about them and kids will <laughs> react to that. And I had a parent the other day just say, thank you. You know, the fact that you share who you are with my child has made her want to share who she, who she's becoming. And so that was very touching. So yeah, I think it really pays off in spades when you do that, especially now when we're all feeling trauma. It, it's really been helpful in that relationship building. Yeah, this time has been so hard for everybody, parents, teachers, um, but I feel like there are some positive things that are coming out of it. Um, you know, the way that we're connecting with our students in different ways, because we have to, right? Because we can't be there in person, so we have to be creative. And you mentioned a success story that you have that came out of this pandemic with one of your students. Can you talk about what happened with your student? Sure. So media literacy is for seventh and eighth graders. And I'm sure you know about middle school, seventh grade, a lot of people will say researchers and just anecdotally parents and others will say that that's kind of the hardest year. Your body is changing. You're trying to figure out your own identity and who you want to be. Um, and so it can be hard to reach those kids. And so um, I have a seventh, I have seventh, eighth grade mixes. And so that's even more interesting, you know, the, the people who are ready to be off to high school and then the seventh graders kind of stuck in the middle. And um, I try to build that, those relationships right away. And so I teach a semester long class. So I've known those kids since um, January. And there was this one boy and he just, you know, I could tell he had some amazing skills in writing, but it was so hard to tap into them because I could, you know, he just didn't seem to gel with the other students. He didn't seem to really want to be there. And I'm kind of silly and very full of energy, as you can tell. Um, and so he just, I don't know how, he probably just didn't know how to take me. <laughs> so I, it was really hard to build that relationship with him. 
But soon as we pivoted into this new world of distance learning on his, on his part, um, the first weeks for Rio Rancho were optional. And so some kids, you know, middle school, you don't have to do it. Well, I'm not going to do it. And so there was just a small handful of kiddos who I were, you know, was communicating with. He was not one of them. Our students found out that it was now required. And so we had given out, and I helped do this at my school, which was great. In my mask, I was able to see some of the kids when their parents came up to get their Chromebooks. And then we gave out hotspots um, through Sparklight. And so um, we're doing the best we can to bridge that equity gap. I mean, I, it still exists. And we, we're gonna see repercussions of that in, in the years to come. Um, but anyway, he started to engage and he was doing all the assignments. And this is a student who, he, he wouldn't turn in things. Like we would have class time to do it, whether it was digitally or on paper. I always like to try to balance that so they don't lose those fine motor skills. He wouldn't even turn it in. And I knew he was doing it and it was just, oh my gosh. But he embraced every single online assignment. And one of them was a podcast, strangely enough. It was day in a life. So we, that week we were studying audio and music. And so they had um, listened to um, a bunch of like teen podcasts and done all these things. Um, StoryCorps, which is one of my favorites from NPR. And then it was time for them to create. Um, and so I found this amazing website called Go Synth and it collects everything in there. You can pick your little intro music. If you're into podcasts, you kind of know there's a cadence to the, to the, you know, when you're doing the podcasts and all of that. And he mastered it. He like had this music running through his, his language that he used and the rhythm of his voice. It was just amazing. And, um, it, and I'm trying at this moment actually today to get his permission to use it because I'm part of a media literacy group, this pilot project this year that the legislature funded. And so we've finished up all our work. And so we're trying to get permission for the best of the exemplary work. And I really want to use his because it made me cry. It made me laugh, but it just really solidified to me that this world really can work for some kids, but it's not going to work for everybody. Just like the brick and mortar is not for every student, but those little success stories, those messages that we get you know, from our kids, that, that interaction that, you know, may not be face to face, but it's still just as meaningful. So those are the things that I hold on to um, when things are particularly hard. And I don't know about you, but I feel like when things are really good, they're extraordinarily good. You know, it's like you feel these in, intense highs, but these horrible lows. So I've had some personal lows. My mom had an accident. She fell and she was hospitalized for three weeks. And so, oh my gosh, we were, it was horrible. We weren't getting any communication. My father couldn't go there. It was just one of the worst times of my entire life. But I think it was even worse because of all of this you know, that we're feeling these just emotional roller coasters. And I know my kids are feeling those too. And so like that whole, whole success story with that student just becomes even more powerful to me as a teacher, because, you know, I know that he's probably experienced trauma. We all are, we're experiencing grief and loss and all of that. And so, because I'm also experiencing those things, um, for example, 
my friend, a friend of mine, her mom was one of the first New Mexicans to die of COVID-19. And so right away, it was so real to me. And so right away, I knew as a teacher that yes, content matters, but even more, it's that social emotional learning. It's those connections, that support that I can give. And so right from the get-go, I knew that and I knew the value of that. And so I think it makes his story even, even more meaningful to me as a teacher. And even this podcast experience, I had some parents who listened to them too. And they told me, you should really submit those to This American Life. There's some really golden nuggets in there. These kids, you know, we're, we're seeing what this is all like for them, but we're also seeing some of their, you know, skills in creating podcasts. Um, so just those ways for them to connect with each other. I think that's the most important, important thing right now. What advice can you offer other teachers when or if we go back in the fall? What do you think that has to look like for our students? If we're in the building? Yeah. Well, there's a lot of the health parts, the, the sanitation and all of that, but that's, be, that's not really our part, hopefully. <laughs> but maybe it will be. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> um, I think there are ways that we can connect even six feet apart. Like I've, I've been doing this funny thing. So um, when I was in Thailand, they always bow when they say goodbye or even when they see each other or even the, the kind of the Indian namaste kind of deal. And so um, I tell my friends that I'm doing this now if I see them from afar, you know, if I have to go to my school and get, get something or whatever and I put on my mask and, and so I do the bow. And so there are ways that instead of fist bumping, we can bow to each other. We can find some creative ways that, you know, we're still like having special things for that particular class that just we're doing uh, and, and they don't have to um, require touch. And if we're in the classroom, which will be amazing, however that looks, I just think that, you know, we can still collaborate from afar. We can just being in the physical place with each other. I think I'm going to never, I'm going to never take that for granted again, <laughs> for sure. And so whatever it looks like, I think that growth mindset, continuing that and, and building that. Um, from the get-go. So I've been sitting in on a lot of webinars. I bet you have too, just nationally. And so there was one earlier this week and it was all about um, SEL and how that's going to look. So it's called Character Strong is the organization that put it on. And they talked about how in the past we would spend maybe, oh, three days, kind of those introductions, setting the expectations, building the teams and all of that within your classroom. And now they're saying that that's going to take three weeks because we need to acknowledge, we need to validate all of this grief and loss and, and understand that we've all been through a trauma. And so that's going to take longer. So I think I, everybody's going to have to be okay with you know, you can still bring in the content as you do that, but you need to be more patient and take that time to really focus on that social and emotional learning because like never before, all of us, adults and students need this. I wanna go back to your media literacy class that you've been talking about. So in this day and age, you know, we see a lot of overload of information coming from so many different sources, many of those sources that have an agenda and with your background in journalism, how are you using that in your classroom? And what kind of things are you focusing on in your media literacy class? Even especially around the pandemic, there's a lot of different things. Out there. How are you addressing those sorts of things in your class? Sure, that's a great question. For me, 
I believe that this time that we're in right now is it's making media literacy matter like never before. And yeah, it's great that I have a standalone class and I've been able to build my curriculum using lots of resources out there, but my feelings and the reason I'm involved in this media literacy group, it's called Media Savvy Citizens. And they did a trans Teachers Transform program. We had a boot camp back in January in, at UNM, and now we've been doing things on Zoom. Um, and we had like a project that we put into place, but they're all middle school teachers and um, in the humanities. So um, social studies and English language arts. And the whole goal from this legislative money is to embed media literacy, no matter the content, media literacy matters like never before, because now we, you know, we need to be careful online. This is the world. It was the world of our kids right now, but it's even more so their world. And so as a media literacy teacher, I use a couple of lenses. So when we look at a medium, we um, go ahead and access it. So we get examples, we analyze and evaluate, then we um, go ahead and create the media in some form or fashion, and then we act upon it. How, what does that mean to your world, to our world? But also there's five questions that guide media literacy, and they're all around who created the message, why was that message created, what special techniques are used to draw us into that medium? Um, what things are points of view and, and bias comes into that are embedded within that media and what are not because it's sometimes it's what's not there that's even more important. And so we always look at every, whether we're studying movies, video games, advertising, um, how to distinguish between real and not real. I don't like the word fake. It's too political these days but um, giving them tools to use those questions to guide them. And so I had them do a final course reflection and it was amazing. Um, so they have digital notebooks and so they went back through all their notes and then looked at what they had done the, the past four weeks. And it, over and over, that was something that was within everybody's reflection. It's like, I now have this tool, you know, that I don't believe everything I see in my social media feed. I go and see if it's somewhere else also. And especially with COVID-19, some of them chose to do their project on that very topic and how, you know, how do you wade through everything that's out there? You know, even as adults, it's hard. Like, who do I believe? And knowing that I'm going to always go to the same couple of sources, the World Health Organization, the CDC, whatever it is for you, um, and you continue to go back to those same sources because you trust them over time. So just giving them those skills and making that just second nature. And I wish everybody could get all that. So it's, it's more than just like being a good digital citizen and being safe and not giving out your information um, and citing your sources and being careful of your digital footprint. But gosh, there's just so much and it's, it's so important right now. I also want to go back to project learning. So you talk about that the best kind of learning involves projects, allowing students to take risks and problem solve. How do you go about implementing those? And do you have one that you're particularly proud of that your students have taken part in? Yes. So as somebody getting my administrative license, I've spent a lot of time thinking about my educational philosophy and my leadership kind of foundation. And there is somebody out there from history, John Dewey, and he has this whole concept of how schools are like the democracies, which within where they live. And so schools should be run like a democracy and, and choices should be part of that. And it's, it's messy. 
So the best example that I have over and over is our school newspaper. So as a teacher, I kind of have to let go of that control a little bit. We are no longer the sage on the stage, nor should we be. We're the guide on the side. And so all we can do using feedback really to guide it along the way is to let them dig in. So I teach them, you know, what is a newspaper article? How do you interview? How do you get really good questions, open-ended questions? How do you interview? Um, let's test it out. Let's interview a classmate. And then, you know, what is a news story? How does it break down? You know, how do you kind of structure it? It's very different than a, an essay, for example. And so um, I teach them all those skills, and then it's time to develop our school newspaper each quarter. And so they, they brainstorm articles, they work always in tandem. So they work together, which has its own wonderfulness. And they you know, decide who they're gonna interview, they write their own questions, they go out and interview, they have their little press passes, and they come back and, and you know, transcribe their notes and, and decide what their lead, their first paragraph is gonna be about, and then they write it. And so I'm there, and I'm helping and really kind of guiding with uh, lots of little pushes um, in, a, in a positive way. But it's so messy and you know, that's when behaviors can be really hard to manage, for example, but I, I, I'm okay with it. And I, I'm so sad I couldn't do a quarter four, but this group had you know, quarter three, they went through that two week process and they always say, oh my gosh, I don't wanna go interview the principal. Um, but then they come back and say, wow, she was so nice. I learned this and that. And wow, she's amazing and whatever. And, you know, writing together can be really hard too. And, but it's part of life. It's collaborative. So all of those 21st century skills are part of that process. And in the end, during those two weeks, I'm about ready to pull out all my hair and, and say, oh my gosh, this is never going to happen. But it always does. And, and then they do peer editing at the very end. And it's, it's very beautiful, but it's extremely messy. But that's life. And so um, exposing them to that whole process, I think, is a perfect example of you know, that project-based learning and, and how I really wholeheartedly believe that's the best way in school. So you mentioned that you were a teacher, teacher of the year for an organization called the Dream Wakers. Can you explain what that is and maybe even how other teachers can get involved? Sure, and I've done lots of professional learning in my district and I'd love to expand that. So Dream Wakers, they are a five-year-old um, nonprofit. They started in New York City, but recently moved to Washington, DC. And their whole goal, which fits in really nicely with the world that we're living in, is they have seen the disparity. They have seen the gap between you know, the, those who have and those who don't. And so they created this idea and it was two women kind of who had grown up together and they went to college together and they were sitting around a kitchen table at one of their homes one day. And they're like, you know what? How do we get guest speakers into classrooms where they just don't have those people in their immediate vicinity? How can we do that? And so that was this whole idea of dream wakers. And it, so it comes from Aristotle, this idea of waking your dreams, that you can be anything that you put your mind to. So they have amazing speakers that they um, get. And so you do it through Google Meet. So I knew about Google Meet before all of this. So I've been involved with them for, this will be the end of the second year. And so I've had like a uh, Google, 
executive who was part of their VR, their virtual reality section. And so he took us on a tour of all, you know, and showed us all these different, wonderful, amazing VR things. And um, then he said to my students during the, during the um, actual guest speaking spot, he said, what do you guys think? Would you like to have some Google Cardboards? And so he sent us a class set. And so I've used them since with every student. And so um, that was really meaningful. I've had an executive from Nike talk to us about her experiences growing up. And a lot of them are younger people. I think they tend to, to do that so that the kids can relate better to them. And, um, and they're not that removed from everything. And a lot of them are people who really struggled. They got D's in middle school and high school and just really school wasn't their thing yet they've gone on to do these amazing things um, we've had some cnn reporters speak to my media literacy students uh, wonderful things happen afterward kids will tell me i really never thought i'd be a journalist i kind of took this class you know i just needed an elective but now i've met this woman and she's done amazing things and and, and she looks like me you know she feels the same way back in middle school that i feel right now i can relate to her um, and so maybe I can do this too. Okay, is there anything else that you wanted to talk about? I mean, I know you've involved with uh, the teacher ambassadors and Teach Plus. Did you want to mention any work that you're doing with those groups? No, I just encourage teachers to think about the voice that they have, that we have so much power to empower, and that, you know, sometimes we might feel kind of isolated in our classroom or our home classroom. Um, but you know what? We have amazing things to share. And I, I was kind of scared to flex my voice in the beginning. But soon as I started to do so and people listened, I, I realized, oh my gosh, this is so important. We should all be doing this because it's the only way that change is going to happen. And that if we just rant to our friend down the hallway, you know, that's not going to get it done. And that we can make change. And when we do so, it's addictive. You want to keep doing more. And you probably have noticed this as well. So you join another organization and you expand your voice and you realize, you know, that there's ways to do it that aren't overpowering, that, you know, you can be gentle and, and, and quiet about it and still make a difference. And so, you know, I, I just really would advocate for that because I think every single educator out there has a story to tell, has a story that can help make education even better. And don't be afraid because there's lots of us who will hold your hand and help you get that voice louder. Thank you, Kelly, for talking with us today. And um, what an amazing story you have and what amazing work you're doing. We all appreciate everything that you're doing for our students. Thank you to the NMPED and Amoga for its sponsorship. Please follow the NMPED and myself on Twitter. Also, be sure to keep an eye out for my monthly teacher-to-teacher -teacher email and your school account. There you will find PED updates and opportunities to connect. As we navigate this pivotal time in education and in our society overall, I would like to leave you with a few simple words from poet Nikki Giovanni. There are things you stand up for because it is right. This is Instruction Interruption. May your hearts be inspired and your minds wide open. Thanks for listening. <laughs>